Welcome, everyone, to Chosen by Committee, a podcast that is reading every play that has won a Pulitzer since 1918, so you don't have to, or maybe since you've been along. Um, I am Josh Heron, and I am joined this week by um, the freshly titled number one hater of Philadelphia, uh, John Rosenberg. <laughs> Uh, and last week, um, uh, Christopher Munden. Hello. Um, my name is Josh, like I said, I am a... Uh, You're the hater of the future. No, I'm a lover, baby. I am the, I'm a third grade teacher, um, and um, maybe I'll write about theater one day. Um, uh, John is a uh, theater maker... Um, writer of the hot take. Um, what was it called, John? I'm sorry you lost your monopoly money. Um, and Christopher Munden um, is the uh, POS who published it. <laughs> Thanks, John. That was. It's really nice. We're, we're quarantined. You don't get too much like. Uh, human interaction and now I have a lot of people telling me what an S I am and what an S you are. So. Yeah, and one of them was important. Um, I, I should say that, uh, John, you've written lots of plays and, and had your theater company and Chris, you started Bindi. Um, but uh, I thought we should spend a little bit of time talking about, about what you wrote and what your sort of feelings are um, about PCF for like maybe a minute. And I guess I wanted to say that, um, so, Chris, you published the article, John, you wrote it. Um, I didn't see it until it came out. Um, and I was sort of, I think, surprised like some people. Um, I have the benefit of being able to talk to you both um, and uh, have like found our conversations around um, the topic of arts funding and um, where that comes from and how it should be supported and what are the role of like these huge nonprofit arts foundations in a pandemic when literally everyone's losing their jobs and people are starving to be really interesting. Uh, but do you want to talk a little bit about, about what you wrote and why you think maybe, and why you think people are reacting the way they are? Sure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think what I basically wrote was the past Tuesday was giving Tuesday and I saw a lot of stuff about theater companies trying to uh, raise money on giving Tuesday. And I work for a nonprofit that doesn't do theater. And so maybe personally, I was like, that's a little weird that they're like trying to raise funds for their theater company right now because what theater are they putting on? And then I guess, uh, you know, Theater Philadelphia asking people to sign the letter, the open letter, because the city was cutting the funding. I just, I thought it was a little too much. Um, so I wrote this thing, um, just being like, you know, there's a pandemic going on get the fuck out of here, basically, grow the fuck up. Maybe right now this is a chance for you to innovate, find out different ways, and maybe that money that would be going to your theater company should be going to other essential services. Um, because I wrote it, you know, I, uh, I write plays. I don't, I'm not like, uh, I don't write articles and shit. I, I, I wrote it a certain way, and a lot of people took issue with it. Um, I think the most important piece, though, is that I support taxpayer funding of the arts <laughs> across the board. I think for me, just because it's a pandemic, 
I'm saying. Uh, you can't see the folks, but um, there's a gun to John's head as he says that. Um, <laughs> and he's holding on to um, to a portrait of, of Ronald Reagan that's being ripped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, believe me if you want. I would say everyone is saying one thing. Someone should say another thing. I mean, I will say I didn't write it to be contrary or to be like everyone's going a certain way. This is purely based Did off you of not? my. I didn't do it to be contrary. This is something I feel that like during a pandemic, maybe figure out. Because me personally, I'm excited to find out different ways of doing uh, theater, and I am doing that. And so for me, I think people are in denial about how bad this is going to be, and why not just kind of let it go and get ahead. And then when the funding comes back, cause I will come back, then you get, it. but right now you'll be okay. I think the one other important piece is like, I wish things were different, but you know, for the past, you know, since the great depression and the first new deal, there's been a push to defund social programs. And like, I wish it wasn't like that, but this is, they've been defunding art programs for the past 40 years. So it's not like I don't want this to happen, but it's going to. Um, My, yeah, I mean, work in nonprofit in like sports and city budget for parks and recs has been slashed to hell too. And I don't know, the city had to kit, cut half a billion dollars. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I guess I'm, um, I, I think when you, uh, <laughs> When you talk about it, it all makes a lot of sense. I think I also have a lot of empathy for people. Like I was in fundraising for years. I wrote grants. I wrote grants to PCF. They give me money. I think they're really great people. I think that um, the city is based on relationships, and I think like that those words can feel different when you like. It's not the office of arts and culture isn't like an abstract room, but it's like the people that run it and have given you money and you've had conversations with them and they've helped you grow. Like I think you want to be, I think something I like about the arts community is that it, it's protective of each other. And I think that like, that that might be something that like is maybe misguided here. I think you're also protective of it in your own way, John. And I think that like, you're speaking about an artistic vitality that you're wanting to protect and wanting to remain, that's like not so connected to money. But I, I think that I think I can see, I, I'm really doing my like both sides is in like a like 100%. What Absolutely. I really want is I want Fendi to rebrand for the week to Fosterity. Um, Fosterity, yeah. Um, I don't know, I mean, we're in the I middle mean, of a pandemic, but yeah, I mean, it's tough. If, if the arts community can't advocate for arts funding, then who can? and they should be advocating for arts funding. It is a little weird to be doing it right now, but like yeah. everyone has to do it right now. I mean, I think one of the things that I do think is, is legitimately interesting, and I don't think it's what you're saying, but what comes to my mind is it sort of sounds like arts funding has been cut for the last 40 years, and the only thing to do is to not ask for more funding. No, it's now, I don't, right? I don't think I don't think that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it would, to me, it's like, it would be wonderful if we lived in an episode of the West Wing when all of a sudden the government is like, wait a minute, the only way out of this is like a 
10 trillion dollar stimulus to like give everyone a guaranteed income for the next year like they're doing in other countries but politically i don't think that's going to happen in this country um that they're going to help people you know they, they've done a little bit but they're not going to support the arts they're not going to prop everybody up until everyone is able to get back to normal and so for me it's like i don't think that's going to happen you should get ready to think that you're going to have to figure it out on your own not not that i think people should or think that people should feel shameful for getting funding that's that that's absolutely not what i'm saying i'm just saying there's something terrible fucking coming and like if the mayor of philly who in my estimation supports the arts they focus tested this before they announced that they're cutting all this shit you know like like uh i don't, I don't imagine them doing this and then pulling back and like you know what we made a mistake like to me it's a draconian it's a draconian measure and like i don't think it's gonna go back to the way it was until after the pandemic unless and this is really dark unless like there's something actually like worse deeper in the cuts that we can't see and like this was the splashy thing to like draw our attention away and he's planning on giving it back and we're going to totally forget about the like right we're actually it's, it's, it's you mean awful. the fact that we're still funding the mural arts project Oh dear. <laughs> okay, we are cutting that. I've got Jane Golden up my ass. Um, I actually, I actually. We murals on all our houses when we wake up in the morning. I actually interviewed with her to be her executive assistant and she offered me the job. <laughs> I, I totally did. I, she offered me the job last October. Oh. Um, I was, all right. So, um, so. You're cutting all that. Actually, that, that um, was great. I'm probably keeping a micro that. episode, maybe. I think it's too bad that this isn't happening when we're reading a play from the Great Depression from the 1930s. Well, I was, I was just thinking that, right? Like, how fitting that we're, like, literally hurling toward the Great Depression, right? And, like, these plays have no idea what's coming to them, um, right. these characters. Um, so, we're here to talk about a play by a Philadelphia son, George Kelly. Um, the play is Craig's Wife. Um, right? <laughs> takes place in the immaculate home of Harriet Craig, um, who has her servants totally terrified of her um, and who um, essentially is like this like ice queen who like has this home that is sort of like described as like this like mausoleum um, and doesn't like company and sort of is like, uh, trying to like um, isolate her husband from her friend, from his friends, um, is very cynically sort of married to this guy, um, and <laughs> um, as the play goes on, sort of her house of cards crumbles, um, and um, through sort of uh, discovered secrets and uncovered lies. Um, everyone, including her husband, um, her husband's aunt who lives with them, um, their, uh, other relatives, their, uh, housekeepers all decide to, um, leave and she is left alone, which might've been my favorite part, um, of the play. That description in the last scene of her, like, desperation. 
It just um, made me feel like, oh, an actress could really do something with yeah, this. Yeah, some like a re- some a real like a real. I know. Was it last week or no? Was it maybe a couple of weeks before when we had that villain play, and and you talked about the like psychology, Josh, and how you could play it differently. Oh, yeah. Um, this Harriet is very much not a sympathetic character. No. And yet I was wondering what it would be like to play her as such. Yeah, I guess. So like, our first question, we didn't like start with like, what surprised you about the play? Um, is that what mainly surprised you, Chris? What's that? Uh, about Harriet, like about the main character being so unsympathetic or... I think so, yeah. She's not redeemed. She, uh, we, we have her as, as a conniving, as like a controlling person. It's another play where like marriage is very important. And in this, it's like a man not being controlled by his wife. And, uh, and like, hero of it is that uh craig mr craig i guess gets to leave his wife and begin again and she is stuck in the home that she's taken such care of and her sister's dead that's right forgot her sister dies in the very last like seconds um john what did you think um i think what surprised me about the play i saw the opening scene he set up everything incredibly clean. Like mm-hmm. I felt that his exposition at the start was really good. I thought it was fascinating to see the um, the maids kind of talk amongst themselves yeah. before she came in. I thought the just the presentation of her, all this, it was clear that the play was about her. You know, she got to basically show off to her niece explaining look you know to get a man and all this stuff you know she was like i think it was interesting she was on the top of the world at the beginning of the play and in less than 24 hours she lost everything um even though she's talking about all you can really have is a home and all this stuff but like i thought the the playwright i mean he punished the fuck out of her as a character and like he did he really punished her and like um I was surprised. That's what, by I'd how, love a strong actor in that role. Yeah. I don't know, man. Right. Yeah, of course. Anything could be interesting, but this shit was like vicious. This was <laughs> this was He's incredibly brutal. vicious. I know um, I yeah, it's a strange play and he is so vicious to her. I mean I think that oh sorry. I would say I felt like I was reading a play written by a good writer. I mean Certainly. Oh, please go ahead. I guess I'm, I, what I was surprised by, what I'm struck by, like, I think my essential question for this play is, on one read, right, it sounds like it is written by a play who, it is a play written by someone who deeply hates women, right? Like, this is sort of like every sort of like nasty stereotype of like bad controlling wife you know 
She doesn't let you see your friends. She doesn't let you like do what you want in the house. She doesn't let you do all this stuff. And so on, on one token, like I could see a very, very compelling case that this is like an inherently like super misogynistic piece of work that um, like, it, like if you told me that uh, this play was written by George Kelly after like a, like a nasty divorce, I'd be like, <laughs> yep, like, I can see that. On the other hand, and I don't know if it's, and I guess this is what I'm wrestling with is like, if this play is redeemable or not. And I'm not sure if it's fair even to like ask an actress to do this. Or maybe it's there in the text. I guess I'm, it's, it's something I'm wondering about is like, is this a role? Like I think of, sorry to name a musical, um, Chris, like a Mama Rose type role, which is like another role that is like pretty nasty. It's in Gypsy. Um, but it's sort of like the King Lear of musical theater, like actress roles. Um, hmm. Like she's not a nice person. She's like, she's not. She, I think, but it's like the sort I of, I think this could be an role. incredible role for an actor. So if yeah. someone could imbue that character with humanity, right? Like I, the other thing is, is I think it's a really interesting discussion of like, well, when you give women no control and no options and their options are marriage and you were born with a drive to control and to have things and the need for security, like I think a character like Harriet who wants to like really like uh, unromantically and really calculatedly like control her life through her marriage, like sort of makes sense. Well, I did, uh, did you read his biography? I did not know I haven't read the biography of George Kelly. So he, well, we should say he is uh, the brother of John Kelly, who was uh, uh, Grace Kelly's father. He is a Olympic rowing champion after whom Kelly Drive, a picturesque street in Philadelphia is, that runs along the river, is named after. He was head of the Fairmont Park Commission and his son was a city councilman, and his daughter was literal royalty. She was Grace Kelly, who married into the Monaco royal family. Um, but he, George Kelly, was uh, a lifelong bachelor, but he lived with his partner for 55 years. His partner was not allowed to come to his funeral and had to sneak in to the back of it to see him married. So George Kelly was uh, was gay and was kind of married, but not to a woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, that brings in like a, like the other thing is like, is there could be a really fantastic queer reading of, uh, of Harriet Craig. I mean, do you think, and nowadays production would almost have to do something like that. Like, because otherwise it does seem misogynistic, right? It does I, seem like- I don't think, I think there has to put, like, I think you'd have to put something, I think you'd have to justify. And I think there is some stuff in the text around like, she grew up with a lot of uncertainty. Like, I think you just have to play this woman as like, as a real person, not as like some like ice queen, right? As like a person who is like in a context. And I think like a smart- Well, it's funny, person. sorry. I don't, I didn't read her as an ice queen though. Like, How did you read her, John? 
Um, I some, There's something about the term ice queen. Like, I didn't feel like the house was sterile. I just felt like I, I made a note at some point that she just wanted it to stay the way it was, which was perfect. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, it, to me, it wasn't as much like, because I felt like she had a funny banter with her husband, you know, like when, um, when he got home, like, I guess, yeah, yeah. So there's something about the term ice queen. I, yeah, like, I guess the thing that's weird to me is what is, what this reminded me of is in the 1990s, there's this movie called Disclosure starring Demi Moore. Um, and uh, she basically played a woman that sexually harassed Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah, I remember that. At least I remember the marketing campaign. Right, but there's something about it that reminded me of this, where, like, this is a play that basically shows this man as, like, a very decent guy, and look at this woman who basically, all she wants is this house, and she's holding onto it, and everything falls apart. And it's like, what message is being <laughs> offered up to the to the audiences in 1925? You know what I mean? Like, how many men in that audience actually had a wife like that? And how many men in that audience fucking left their wives for someone else? Do you know what I mean? Just like, I just felt like this, sorry, this play was not very, uh, it, uh, I found it like exploitative and fucked up. And so I, I don't know about, you're right. You could play it now with a different context that might be interesting, but like, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's fucked up, man. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's I I enjoyed the like uh, crime aspect of it. That was weird. We have in the first act the maids like finding a newspaper and reading about this murder. And I don't know about you, but when that was thing, I was like, that's like when in a movie you see a crime on the TV. And you know that crime is going to be part of this plot. And sure enough, it was. I thought for sure the husband did it. Or maybe she, I was like, so ready for it to be about. It's funny. Yeah. How, I, I almost think it's like an interesting subversion of the crime sort of like, is like tangent to the, um, to the play. Like it just intersects enough for like something to sort of like ricochet off. And even the way it intersects is so inconsequential. But like, yeah, I wondered about I wondered about that. Like, uh, I know about like Dashiell Hammett in the thirties and like crime fiction in the thirties. I don't know much about like crime fiction at this time because it does seem like it's subverting that. I'll, I mean, I'll tell you my what I thought was that the first act. Honestly, how I how I read it was, all the men in the audience are like, "What the fuck am I watching?" And then in the second act, there's this strange murder investigation with these cops. And then Mrs. Craig basically completely loses her cool and just like super freaks out and like makes the phone call that then the police are able to trace. And it was, yeah, <laughs> it felt like it was like it, a police procedural for a yeah, little part of it. It was a police procedural and it's like, I felt like it was there for men to enjoy the play. I mean, I will like, say, this is no, the first no, play I've, when we've done research, it like talks about this as like a woman's play. 
Um, like that was, it was like part of this genre. I like I've heard of women's film, right, from the fifties of like Douglas Sirk and Weepies, and apparently like the there's a couple movie versions of this. The Rosalind Russell movie I watched the first hour of. Um, it was like Build as a Woman's Picture. There's um, a I would love to watch a Joan Crawford adaptation called Harriet Craig. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But that was also Build as a Woman's Picture. Right, so I think. Sorry. That seems strange to me that it'd be anyway like seen as a woman's work. I mean, I think that a lot of the like, so the 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 genre of like women's fiction or women's women's pictures, like chiclet. Yeah, I mean, I think it looked differently. Um, like any of the film, like Douglas Sirk, I think is like my favorite example, um, and. Um, he's worth a watch, everyone. Um, and he's like these very melodramatic sort of social dramas. Um, and like the female characters aren't always super sympathetic, right? Um, some of them are, but a lot of them, I think it's just about like, it's their movies about like domesticity, right? And marriage and like, you know. Certainly, but, but what's interesting is like, it seems to me that George Kelly punishes her for wanting what she wanted yeah, you know what no. i mean it, if she's like look uh saying to her niece a man is nice and all that but you have to secure your position you have to secure your position and at the same time look at my beautiful home and all that and then like less than 24 hours later it's like she gets what she wanted you know which is just the home or something like that and she's left with nothing and like yeah, I, I, I dig what you're saying about like it is like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's fucked up. <laughs> wait, wait, that is a reading I actually love. Okay, so what if, and this would go against the stage directions of the text a little bit, but not the text as a whole, is if the ending is actually like a happy ending. Like if you see her, like she gets the message, she's sad for a second, but then she like walks around and sees that she has the whole house to herself and that no one's going to fuck it up. And like, you see, like you hear her like laugh or something. Or she like lights a cigarette in the same room that she said someone else couldn't or something like that. Yeah. Like, um, I can actually see that being a really powerful ending that would like. I don't know. I, I love the ending of the description of her just being desperate. I don't know. Like that's, I could picture that in my mind an actor doing something with that. Like, I don't know. It, it, it's a strange play. It's maybe the first play that we've read where I am like, what the fuck? What's going on with this? Like, it's weird. And, and like, it's anti-female and it's anti-Harriet in the play, but like a lot of the characters who she is abusive to are also women and who are like, exposing her abuse or also women so but know. interestingly enough both the both the maids point out very clearly that that they're paid very fairly and i thought that was something that, that, interesting. Was, that was interesting too yeah it was such an interesting detail right like yeah that she's not like i wonder if that was like kept in to explain why they would still be there or like... No, but, but you know what I mean? Like she's, I don't know if fastidious is the right word, but like 
you know, like if she grew up poor and like once she gets something nice, she just wants it to stay the way it is. You know what I mean? Um, and just like her so freaked out about the woman coming over with the roses. And then she basically ends up like her. Like she's older and, and like right. not a threat. Oh yeah. And yeah. the movie it is, was, so I, this was something that I think the movie was really interesting in. And I'm going to, if you don't mind, I might talk about it for a second. Cause it addresses. Yeah. So um, I don't think I read it this way when I read it, but it was to a point when the husband comes home the first time and Harriet sort of being like jokey with him. Um, and it's clear in the movie, at least how Rosalind Russell plays it is she's like sort of jokey with him. And then as soon as he leaves the room, her smile like vanishes. Right? Sort of like this, like, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like the like, oh, hi, honey. Oh. <laughs> um, I get total ice cream, like just right. fucking. Um, and I love Rosalind Russell. Um, but she's also, so, it's like, she, I don't know. She's someone that to me is so vivacious. And this was sort of a weird role for that. But then also the neighbor woman is like a, is like a nice old lady. Like, not like, you know, like grandma, but like. No, she's 50. Yeah, like. She's, I've, she's supposed to be old. She's supposed to be way too old for no, Mr. She's Craig. She's 50. Yeah. I, I think, think that's just on the cusp. Oh, dear. No, but she, she specifically says that she's 50. No, but like, how old do you think the Craigs are? Fifteen. No, I, I figure like thirty, right? Mr. Craig. Mr. Craig and Mrs. Craig. How old do you think they are? Older, because well, I, think, I think she's probably like twenty-seven. I bet he's like thirty-three. Okay, so she kind of sees the neighbor as a threat, but the neighbor is not a threat, right? And I think maybe your film version made that clear and a stage make version could make that, could like shape that some, right? Yeah, totally. No, I mean, I think that like, I think that's what you do, right? I think if you wanted to make this production today and not have Harriet be like, like, I think that that's what I'm, maybe what I'm reacting to. The film made every decision, like, you know, they like, the interaction with her husband, they made that clear that it was like a facade. You know, they made this like it made they made it crazy for her to be jealous of this neighbor, right? You could like complicate everything, right? You could make that woman like I don't know, like um, you could like you could make it so that all of Harriet sort of claims are like in the realm of of reasonable, or you can make it so that they're all like fucking crazy. Because she does kind of save her husband from a scandal of the, she does. Like if he had like called the police in the second act, he would have been drawn into this and uh, in, drawn into like a scandal and the police solve it completely independently. I don't know. It's such a, to me, it's the first play that's like so. I don't know. I don't know. I do feel like the the psychology that George Kelly offers of Harriet is very strange to me, and that she's. I think he was saying something very interesting about 
the human condition or something like that in the first act. And then all of a sudden the thing happens with the police and she acts incredibly irrational. She gets really squirrely and like, because like, because like the problems with the ant, I get that. Like if you but live you with know, your... People are irrational. I, I don't know. It yeah, didn't no, make like, sense. Yeah. It didn't make sense how she acted. Like she was like covering up a crime that wasn't there and her crime was like... Because she was so worried about what other people would think and like... Yeah, I think he made her, I, I feel like he made her intelligent in the first act. You know, you might not like her or be like, man, that's, wow, that's, you know, you're going to have real politic about your fucking marriage. And like, you know, she really had an explanation for her niece about, dude, you need to be careful with men, blah, blah, blah whether you agree or not, or like whatever. But to me, all of her intelligence fucking disappeared. And she just turned it, it's like, uh, it's like Lucille Ball, but like, everything's falling apart or some shit. I don't know. Was there, I mean, I think we've sort of talked about what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, I think what's interesting is it's all sort of like a blend, right? Like, I think this is the first play that I've read that I don't necessarily have like, and maybe it, like it sort of speaks to its quality, but I don't have like one direction in my mind of this. I have like sort of two. Like I have like, oh, I have like, I can see if I had a version that would be like interesting, but would like be essentially working with the text and I think would be yeah. her sort of evil and crazy. And I have one, I think that you could work against the text a little bit and make this a more relevant contemporary play. Um, and this might be the first time I feel like I have, like, I have that duality in my head. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I would say like, I, I think he's a good writer. Like, I don't know if what I think of this play, but I think he's a good writer. Yeah, man. Yeah, no. yeah, he's a he's a good writer, but right, it's hard to buy Mr. Craig as just like the world's not, like he's like fucking Barney Rubble, and it's just like yeah. Um, is there anything that you would do? I feel like I've like been yammering on about my various dream productions. Um, well, what character are you, Josh? Oh, maybe the ant. Or no, I'm the slutty widow. I'm like, the, the, I'm the the, but I'm the one that you should be worried about. Um, what about you? What about you, Chris? Who are you? I mean, I guess I'm Mr. Craig. And yes, you are. Yeah. And I know that Mrs. Craig is wrong for me, but like, for some reason I still like her. Oh, no. Were you attracted to Mrs. Craig while reading this? Yes. Oh, whoa! Yeah. Wow, we buried the lead here. Yeah. Um, John, who are you? Uh, he's he's the guy who uh, kills his wife <laughs> and then himself. Oh, are you that you're like the no good? <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Um. <laughs> Where does it fall in our rankings? I don't know. I think this is like a dead middle. I'm gonna have to look at him. 
I just got I, I got to say the one thing that I was really blown away though the opening was incredibly clean. I thought the the opening was very very good. You've used that word clean a couple times, and I yeah. think I understand. But could you explain what you mean by that? He did a thing where I feel like the niece referred to Harriet as Aunt Harriet, and it didn't read as like hey everyone, she's her aunt. Like to me, clean is like when you can hide your exposition in plain sight. Mm. And like, you don't look at it as like, oh, okay, now I know who that is. And this person's gonna tell me. Like you get engrossed in the scene and you receive information um, in such a stylistic way that it just, it, it moves quick and that's me, it's clean. Yeah, I mean, I will say like, it's different with Eugene O'Neill because he's Eugene O'Neill, but like this was the first play I read where I was like, I want to read other plays by this guy. Mm. Like, like, I don't know if this is as good a play as some of the other ones I read, but I was intrigued and I wanted to read more by the guy. I should put uh, a note on this for people who've been listening or maybe people who haven't is George Kelly's play was voted to win the 1924 Pulitzer, um, but because of some like internal machinations, um, it lost to Hellbent for Heaven, um, a play which I think we all was not good. Played, like we hated. Um, yeah, so I'm sure that show. Off. So I mean, there's probably a very good chance that his 1924 play was better. Yeah, it's just that they wanted to give it to him this year. So maybe that's why it won the 1926 Pulitzer. Um, on to the 1927 Pulitzer. Next week we will be reading um, in Abraham's bosom, which um, I guess is a biblical reference to um, uh, a sort of Abraham. Yeah, <laughs> what I say. <laughs> Oh, okay, right. no, it's a reference to Abraham. But it's also a phrase that I think people used it to talk about sort of um, purgatory. Um, oh, wait, you're saying Abraham's bosom is a, is a thing for talking about purgatory? Yeah, it's like you're being held toward Abraham's bosom that's like before you know what you're doing with the afterlife. It's like the first stage. Whoa, there. no shit, huh? I mean, that was like literally on like the first line of a Wikipedia page that I didn't click on. So like yeah, you, you two are both Jewishish and and I'm not Catholic. Jewish. You're uh, Jewish. Um. Uh. But that is going to be interesting. This is a historical play based in the South. Um, the guy Paul Green is a Southern dramatist who is sort of famous for these very long standing like outdoor history pageants um, about like Southern history. This play is um, about uh, a um, inter, like a a mixed race dude um, who wants to open up a school for African-American kids, but is chased out of town. Um, Yeah. Sounds Um, interesting. And it was praised at the time for its handling of um, sort of, it's sensitive portrayal of African-American life in the South. 
Um, so it's super racist. Is that what you're telling me? I don't know. Paul Green's a white dude. Um, at least he's a white passing dude. Um, so we will see. I'm very curious as to what it's going to be like um, to read about it. He's also been, Paul Green has also been compared to Sing. Um, so I've, com- mm-hmm. so I've compared, uh, I think O'Neill with on this before. Um, a player that I really, really like. So um, we'll see. Um, well, thank you for joining us. Signing off, um, Josh and the two haters. And, <laughs> and I'm going to leave us all with a lullaby. Bye, folks. Bye, friends. Bye. Why do you sit and say there's no sunshine in store? All through the winter.